You know, it's funny that she was saying when I was, uh, when I was that age, I wouldn't have seen myself up there because I never thought I would be a pastor. Even if uh, you had told me as little as 10 years ago, and I wasn't that small 10 years ago, I, I would never have told you or thought, even if you had said, you're going to be a pastor on stage and you're just going to get installed in Penticton of all places, I never would have said, you're right, that's for sure what's going to happen. And uh, it actually, my calling to become a pastor was a process, and it was quite a process. And when I first uh, felt like it was possible I was getting called to uh, become a pastor, God gave me that message through my wife, because she's way wiser and smarter than I am. So uh, she said, have you ever considered being a pastor? And I laughed and said, no. God gave me a second chance a few years later. Uh, I was in the trades and just uh, started to get miserable. And I finally had the courage to ask God, what's next for my life? I hate doing what I'm doing. What do you have for me? And I guess you have to get sick enough of what you're doing for God to bring a big dramatic change in your life. Because at that point, I finally was willing to say, okay, let's, let's figure this out. And at this time, Karison and I were part of a satellite service, uh, and we were actually meeting together with another church, which is a really big, complicated story that I'm going to get back to later uh, and kind of explain even what that means. But when, uh, when the pastor of the church that we were a part of uh, heard that I was called to ministry, he asked me to share my testimony, which uh, is usually a very intimidating thing if a pastor asks you to share your testimony. I know it's not something that uh, everyone wants to, and I wanted to say no, but I thought, well, if I'm going to be a pastor, I guess I'll have to get up on the the platform eventually to actually talk. So uh, one Sunday in front of these two combined services, I got up there with my sheet of paper and the handheld mic, and I was shaking so hard I could barely read the words, and the volume went up and down as the mic moved farther and farther away. And, uh, and anyway, I shared the testimony, shared how I felt called to go to school and, uh, and everything. And then uh, just in light of uh, the reason I share this aspect, even though it's an aside, is we just spent a month talking about the power of words and the power to either harm or to, to help. And uh, a woman came up to Kerrison after I had shared my perceived call into ministry and that I was training and said, you know, I've always seen that you would make a great pastor's wife. And that you really have the character and you're good at connecting with people. And, and uh, not to say that just to build up Kirsten, but it's because uh, she is, I think. But, uh, but it's because that one word that that woman gave has given her so much encouragement and confirmation. At the time where her and I were still just trying to figure out what it meant to go to school and to become a pastor and to drop a lucrative career. Uh, just that confirmation that it wasn't just something I was called to but it was something that she was a part of, that she had her own unique role in it, was something so helpful. So just as an aside, to encourage you to keep encouraging one another. But uh, as I entered school, I felt ill-prepared and ill-suited. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so I was in Bible college with most of the kids had grown up in a Christian home. They knew the Bible way better than I did, and I felt ill-suited and ill-prepared. But uh, I, partly because I hadn't committed my life to God till I was a young adult. I'd encountered him in high school, but it took a process of years and a journey of growing more and more in obedience. And even while I was in Bible college, trying to figure out what it meant, what I was going to do after, till eventually I was able to come to a place of surrender and just, whatever you want, God, you can have my life. And so uh, here I am, following that obedience to God, 
And as I said, 10 years ago, I never would have seen myself here. So I wonder where I'll be in another 10 years. I'm hoping still here. But, uh, but even for our own lives, sometimes we, we, we never know where God will lead us if we are just willing to surrender to him. And I feel so much, uh, so fulfilled doing the work of the ministry and, and being a pastor. It's not that I think everyone is called to be a pastor. I think it's a special thing. But doing what God has called you to do feels like nothing else. It's not always easy, but it's always good. And so I would just encourage you, whatever you maybe feel like God is calling you to, to pursue that. But this morning, what I want to develop and I want to talk about is the understanding of the role of our church. What is our church called to here in Penticton? It's not just called to uh, just enjoy the beaches and enjoy the beautiful weather that we have that we're thinking about now that it's cold, dreary November. But, uh, and then also the part that I have to play in that, uh, that's already been talked about a lot, and then the part that all of us here together as a church have in fulfilling that calling that God has given us. So to start with, I always like defining terms. So even the term, of ch- uh, the term church, what does church mean? It could mean a whole bunch of things to a bunch of different people, but my favorite definition comes from a book called Vintage Church, and it says this. The local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to scripture, they organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for preaching and worship, observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion, and then the part that I want to focus on is coming still, but are unified by the Spirit, are disciplined for holiness, and then lastly and greatest, are scattered, are scattered to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and their joy. So that is a lot of things, and that's a, the big list of things that we're doing. But the main focus of that is there to scatter to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. So what a church is, this is an explanation. But how do you tell how good a church is? is a ch- how do you tell if a church is fulfilling these purposes or not? What are the indicators of that, that the church is actually making an impact on their area? So the three questions that will help us frame this conversation, the first of these is, what does a good church look like? With the definition uh, that we've seen, a good church would fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. So... I know many of you are familiar, but not everyone will be, but what the Great Commandment and the Great Commission are. And for the sake of brevity, I'll explain these two quickly. So the Great Commandment comes out of Mark, uh, and it has a scribe, which is an expert of the law, come up to Jesus and say, okay, out of all the, the laws, out of everything in the, the Old Testament, would have been the Bible that they had, what's the most important one? And Jesus narrows it down. Jesus answers, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then Jesus gives a bonus add-on. He said, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So the summary provided by Jesus for the whole of the Old Testament law, the whole law of God is one idea with two directions. The idea is love. And then the two directions are love God and love others. 
Isn't that a great symbol? Up and down, the vertical love of God for God and God's love for us, and then the horizontal love. That almost looks like a cross to me. But So the first indicator of a good church is love. That a good church should be a place where love is prevalent. And what is love? Love is seeking the best for the other. Love by its very nature is selfless. It's not looking to the needs of yourself. It's looking to the needs of others. And Jesus is the best example of love. Jesus lived the life, the perfect sinless life, in order to provide the perfect sinless death. His whole life, even his very coming down to earth, his being with us, his God with us, his Emmanuel that we'll be looking at over the Christmas season is a sacrifice. He left perfect, painless heaven to come down to pain-filled, imperfect earth to be with us. And John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. A good church should be a place of sacrificial love for our friends. But who are our friends? Jesus asked a very similar question, who's our neighbor? And he told the parable of the Good Samaritan. But actually the Great uh, Commission shows it as well, who our friends should be. So the Great Commission is probably something, if you're a Christian, that you've heard lots of times. But I want you to go back to when Jesus actually said this the first time. Picture that you were one of Jesus' disciples. You had spent three years walking around with him, learning, sitting under his teaching. You had seen him heal many, many people. You had seen him do many miracles. You had heard him teach many, many things, the majority of which never made it into the Bible because there were so many things John's, uh, end of John's gospel says that it could, even if they all could have been written down, there's not enough trees in the world to write them all. And so there's so many things. And yet now you have seen, after sitting under Jesus' teaching for three years, you saw him die. You saw this man who had done amazing works of God get taken by soldiers and killed. And you grieved. You were distraught. You wondered, what did I give those three years to? This man who seemed to be perfect, who seemed to do everything, just was defeated. Was it all a lie? What was that? And then, miraculously, three days later, he resurrects. And he shows himself to his disciples. And the ones that doubt are, are shown otherwise, that he is truly living. And they sit under his teaching more. And now Jesus is saying, I, I have to go. But I want to leave you with one final message. So would you think maybe this one message is important? This is, this is Jesus' last words. It's his epitaph to the people before he leaves. He says, remember this. And so this is the Great Commission as recorded by Matthew in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And the blessed, beautiful promise, he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. May God bless the reading of that word. So Jesus says, go and make disciples. That's the mission that he gives us. And then the next few, cent few phrases are what that looks like, what making disciples looks like. So it's to baptize them. Baptism is a sign 
of obedience to Jesus, that you're dying to yourself and you're living for him. It's a symbol of the, the crucifixion, the death and resurrection. So it's a public way of saying, I'm following Jesus. And then the simple statement of teach them to obey Jesus in all things. Not in some things, in all things. And so that's a process of teaching them obedience. And so the church is called to sacrificially love our friends. And then in the Great Commission, it shows us that our friends are to be disciples from all nations. We're supposed to make friends of other people that are unlike us. People of all ages, all walks of life. And then to teach them to follow and obey Jesus. So our friends are disciples from everywhere. They look totally different from us often. So Jesus calls us, love our friends, and then make friends who make disciples, who make friends who make disciples. And on and on it goes. So a good church should be a church that is full of multiplying disciples. So it should be a loving place that sees more and more people come to faith in Jesus. So the first question was, what does a good church look like? It looks like a church of love and of discipleship. Second is, what is God doing in the world? Jesus promised that we're not in this alone. So we shouldn't presume that, uh, that we, it's all up to us. God is at work, mightily and powerfully. Jesus promised he's with us. So what is he doing in the world? The Holy Spirit is re- recreating each person who follows after Jesus to be more and more like him. But the other point is that Jesus is actually drawing people to himself. It's this beautiful picture that when people are far from God, his Holy Spirit calls to them. His Holy Spirit draws people. His Holy Spirit works through the people of God to give them warning of the path that they are on and to say, if not for God, then you are on a dangerous path. So Jesus calls us to these tasks. And in 2 Peter 3, 9 Peter encourages us. He says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. It's not that God is idle. It's not that God is just waiting around. He goes on to say, Instead, he's patient with you. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So Jesus is at work. He wants everyone to come to repentance in him. He wants everyone to come back to a relationship with him. So Jesus longs for everyone to be saved. So he's busy at work bringing light to dark places. When we, if we think that we're sitting and waiting for Jesus to do something, then we're wrong because Jesus is already doing something. Jesus maybe is just waiting for us to go and look where he's working. And so he could do it without us. I don't think that God needs us, but he wants us. He allows us to be a part of the amazing work of God in people's lives. He allows us to be a part of sharing the work of the ministry. Yes, he could do it all alone. He could force people to obey him, but that's not what he's called us to. He's called us to obedience and friendship with him, to participate in his grand rescue plan for the world. So some followers of Jesus uh, are followers of Jesus, but perhaps aren't following the Great Commission. Maybe they're not actively uh, making disciples. A great question that I've heard that's challenged me many, many times is uh, to reflect consistently on who are you discipling? Who can you point in your life that you're pouring into? And it could be at various stages of the process that you're just getting to know them and show them love so that you can earn the relationship 
and show the concern that you can start to share the gospel in very clear ways. And then the second, uh, the second question is, who is discipling you? Who's pouring into you? Who are you learning from? It could be someone who's older in the faith, older and wiser. It could be through a podcast. It could through, be through Sunday morning messages. It should be abundance of things. It should be a wide variety of things. But we should be pouring into people, and we should be being poured into. If one or the other is lacking, then something is wrong. If we are just getting poured into, but we're not pouring ourselves into somebody else, then we're just holding the gospel to ourselves. So who are you discipling, and who is discipling you? God is doing his part in the world. Are we doing our part, is the question for us. So the the first question was, uh, what does a good church look like? It's loving, and it's making disciples. And then what is God doing in the world? God is at work seeking and saving the lost and asking us to be a part of it. And so then the third question for our conversation is, what does the church look like that understands and obeys what God is doing in the world? So if we know that God is in the world seeking and saving the lost, that he doesn't wish for anyone to perish, then what does a church look like that is following him in that example? So what is a a church that every single member, every single person who's part of the community that knows that God is at work and lives like that? What does that church look like? I think the the clear indicator should be growth. We are called to make disciples. And growth doesn't just mean numbers. It doesn't just mean that the the, uh, numbers of of butts in the pews should be going up. It should be that growth in love. People should be growing in their depth of love for God and for other people. They should be growing in their compassion, growing in their obedience. That one sometimes is difficult, but growing in our obedience. And then it should be growth in the number of people being saved. Churches should grow. Churches that are obeying God, they won't always. Healthy churches won't always grow, but they should by regular So is this happening in Canada? If we look around and uh, look at the state of the church in Canada, is the church in Canada overall doing well at this? A quick Google search uh, shows that it's not. The census data from 1991 to 2011, and this is self-declared people saying what what their state of religion is, And so the numbers are skewed because there are some people who say they're one thing but don't actually live it out. But it shows that from 1991 to 2011, the total percentage of Christian population in the different walks of uh, Christian, wide Christian umbrella, dropped by 16%. So overall, the population of Canada declared they were 16% less Christian. And this uh, drop, 4% of this, was likely immigration from world religions because there was a large growth in world religions by 4%. But the the largest factor was a 12% growth of those who are called the nuns, those who say they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. They don't believe in anything. And so the overall process of discipleship, I don't think it's much of a stretch to say, isn't happening as well as it should in the Church of Canada in all the different flavors and walks of life. And actually, on average, across denominations, uh, and there's different in some areas and not in others, but uh, on average, 80% of churches in Canada 
are either plateaued, which means they're just staying the same. They're not growing, they're just holding ground, or declining. They're actually losing ground. So something is not as it should be. That is not the way that Jesus called us to. And the most likely emotions that we can feel hearing stats like this, reading stats like this, would either be fear or the idea that we should go on defensive. We should pull back. We should hold on to what we have. We should, we should be a fortress for God and just hold on until the last days. But even as, uh, as Pastor Earl Wood uh, referenced, the church isn't meant to be a defensive fortress. In Matthew 16, 18, when uh, Jesus calls out to Peter, he says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church isn't meant to be defensive. Hell is on the defensive. The kingdom of God is moving. The gates of hell are losing. So that's not a defensive statement. That's an offensive statement. We're not meant to pull back and hold on. We're meant to go forward. So the enemy is on the defensive because Jesus is already the victor. Jesus has already won. And so if we, if we look at statistics and we get fearful and worried, then we have the wrong mindset. I actually choose to believe that less people who are saying that they have faith in Jesus, less people that actually say they have any religious background, it may be a daunting task, but it actually brings me hope because there are more and more people that we can tell about Jesus. There are more and more people that have no church background that we have to overcome, that have no hurts in their past, that we are able to come to them and say, did you know, have you ever heard about this man named Jesus? Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about what he means to me, why I follow him. And we don't have to overcome something because they're at a neutral standing. And so there's so much hope. We shouldn't hunker down and wait for Jesus to come back. We should be actively at work moving the needle forward. There are so many more people out there that we can tell about Jesus. God is at work in the world around us. And we get to be a part of it. Ecclesiastes, uh, I love this book, but it's a great book. It says, there is nothing new under the sun. So when we think, oh, the world is getting so bad. Culture is just so demonic now. Culture is so awful. We're kidding ourselves. It is so much easier to share faith in Jesus now in Canada than it was back then. Paul was put in prison multiple times, beaten stoned to death, or stoned almost to the point of death, be just for sharing about Jesus. And yet, we worry that persecution is somebody not liking us. Somebody maybe saying something bad about us. And so, the upside-down kingdom that we are a part of may look like it's bad out there. But to Jesus' followers, that should mean that there's more potential out there. When the going gets hard, when the going gets tough, the saying is, the tough get going. Now, I don't know about you, but on my own, I'm not very tough. I'll just, I'll admit it. Maybe God has only given me daughters so far because they're easier to wrestle than boys. But I don't have to be tough, though, because Jesus is tough. This isn't meant to be, I'm going to just pridefully march forward. No. We can surrender and say, we can't do this on our own. You know, this is hard, but Jesus is at work, and Jesus is strong enough. 
and Jesus cares. This is, this is a, a revelation that I feel like God gave me the other day. I was, I was really praying for some of the lost in my family, and I was really burdened, and sometimes it's easy to get discouraged. And I just, I just thought about, uh, well, I, I don't think it was my idea. I think Jesus told me, he's like, you know, I care more about them than even you do. You know, I care more about your family members that don't know Jesus than even you do. And Jesus, I shared this a few weeks ago, I think, but Jesus cared so much about the loss of the world that he came to us. He didn't hold his back his life. He didn't stay in comfort and say, figure it out and I'll, and I'll get to you if you make it. No, he actually did something about it. He came down to earth in order to make a way for us to be reconciled to him. So God has more at stake in this than we do. But the Lord forbid that we don't do our part. The Lord forbid that we don't care enough about other people to risk people thinking bad of us in order to care for them. Even if it means that the laws of Canada change and it becomes illegal to meet, may we have the courage to meet anyway and to say, I'm not here for Canada, I'm here for Jesus. So may we have the, the hope that even though that the darkness might be coming that actually Jesus has the best yet to come you know I'm sure almost all of us if not all of us are familiar with the history of our church we have had hardship I'm not making light of that we've had pain we've had sorrow we've had loss We've, we've had and we've had victory but the pain that we've experienced God doesn't just brush that off and say buck up keep going God doesn't make light of that. God doesn't just say, well, don't worry about it. It'll be better one day. No, what he says is he actually redeems that. There's, there's this weird upside-down thing about the, the work in the kingdom of God that death actually can lead to victory, that pain can actually lead to joy, that hardship can actually lead to victory, that when, when darkness comes, that light is coming even better. You know, the, the, the night gets darkest right before the dawn. So I actually passionately believe that the best is yet to come for our church. I think that uh, what God has done through the former pastors, no less Pastor Neil, he has created a strong foundation. That the enemy has tried his best. He's taken his run at us. And not by our strength, but by Jesus' strength, we're still here. And we're not going to hold back. We're going to charge forward. We're going to have victory, not through our strength, through Jesus' strength. So when I say the best is yet to come, I don't mean that lightly. I mean it truthfully. And I'm strongly convicted of that. I have great hope and great joy for our future. I can't wait to see what God has for us in the coming years. And it it is not about any one of us. It is not about me. I feel so blessed just to get to be a part of this. Uh, Ephesians 4 that we read earlier, it says that God has given different gifts to different people. And I feel like I have gifts, but they're not mine. They're God's gifts that he's given me for the edifying of the body of Christ. But I'm no more or no less than any one of you. And I don't want anyone to think, well, the pastor, he's going to do this amazing thing. No, no. We are going to do this amazing thing. We are going to do this because Jesus wants us to. Because Jesus has called us. He has called us here to Penticton for such a time as this. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength.
So as we go forward here, my primary role is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This church, this body of believers, to equip you for the work of the ministry. Yes, I will do work. Yes, I'm going to minister. I'm going to pray. I'm going to, I'm going to be with people. I'm going to pray for healing. But I am not foolish enough to think that I'm the only one with gifts and strengths and abilities. The work that I can do, I can be in one place at once. But as a church, we can be in over 100 places at once, doing 100 people's work of the ministry at once. So may we not just imagine that it's somebody else's role, that it's somebody else's job. We are in this together. So I will do my best. I will pray for this church. I will love this church. I will minister the word. And I will do everything that I can to help us fulfill our mission of real transformation for all people in Christ. But we're in this together. Now, I can't speak for every church that has ever closed its doors or folded. But I can say that the days that churches are usually in decline is when they start to lose sight of the focus and the point of the mission. When churches start to say, well, that's not the way I want it. I don't like it that way. That they put their preferences in front of the mission that Jesus gave them. Jesus gave such examples of principles and things that we are to do as a church. And Acts, the book of Acts is a beautiful picture of the church in its infancy. Of it charging forward. Of Peter preaching a sermon and 3,000 people coming to faith in one day. What a beautiful picture of evangelism. But not very many years later, in Revelation, there, uh, there are seven churches that, uh, through John, God speaks out against because they had lost it. They had lost sight in seven different ways. And that's meant to be a warning for us not to get sidetracked and to lose focus. You know, the, the satellite service that Karis and I were a part of, it was called a satellite because it wasn't a church plant because we were still connected to the main site, but it was a new location. And we had done a lot of the things you usually do as a church plant. We had gathered a core team. We prayerfully asked God what he wanted to do for us, where, or what he wanted us to do, where he wanted us to be. And as a team, we didn't want our primary location to be a church building. We wanted to be in a different kind of space so that we could meet on Sundays and we could somehow partner and bless that community. But God led us to a church. And uh, it was a church that was going through decline. And it had seen better days years before. It had been planted actually by the same church 30 years before. But after worshiping in, on Saturday night in their basement, we had actually outgrown it. And at this time, the, the church had gone through a pastoral transition and didn't have a pastor. So they actually approached us and asked, could you take over our Sunday morning services? And it'll be your service. We'll just worship with you uh, to make it easier for them. And so we did. And then uh, our church kept growing and growing, and some of we became friends, and they felt like they were part of our family. And their church leadership, their board at that time, decided, you know, why don't we just join with this church? We have had a good go. Why don't we join with this, this congregation? We'll be one church together. And so they had conversations with their church, with our church separately, and uh, both congregations voted. Ours voted yes. Theirs voted no. And so the, the leadership thought, well, you know, maybe people just don't quite understand. We'll get together. We'll have more conversations. So we had question and answer periods between the leadership and uh, the people of their church so they could ask questions. They could raise any concerns they have. What concerns do you have? What are you worried about? And a few months of this went by, and they voted again. 
our church uh, overwhelmingly voted yes. And their church, by one vote, voted no. And uh, our lead pastor uh, said, you know, if God wanted to put an exclamation mark, there it is. But uh, the, the reason I bring up this story is because the, the main phrases that summarized why those people voted no was, uh, you know, they said uh, to our pastor, we love you. We think you're great. We love your guys' church. We love what you're doing. We love that we see that God is blessing you guys, that you're going somewhere, that we love the vision. We love everything. But don't take our church from us. Don't take our church away. This is our church. Don't take it from us. I think that's sad. Because whose church is this? Yeah. This isn't the church of Adrian. This is the church of Jesus. The Nazarene. This is God's church. And God will lead this church. Jesus is the head of this church. Whoever the pastor up in the pulpit is. But sometimes we think of it as my church. You know, the music I want. The way I like this. The way I like that. And we lose sight of the mission. We put our preferences in front of the people that God has called us to reach. And that's so sad. You know, I, I, I sometimes, uh, when I try and hold myself accountable or try and wonder, I try and imagine myself standing before Jesus and saying that phrase that I was going to say to somebody. And would Jesus find that honoring? So if I stood before Jesus and said, you know, it's my church, I want this my way, would he say, okay? Or would he say, uh-uh, it's my church, not your church? Jesus would say, no, he says, for the people. It's not for you, it's for the others. And so we're called as a church to gather together, to love one another, to encourage one another, to equip one another. And may our gatherings always be edifying to Jesus. But may they never just be for us. May they be the welcome places where we can bring our friends, where we can introduce people to Jesus. May they be places that we are built up, where we are poured into, where we, while we're being poured into, we're pouring into those around us, that we're ministering to those in the pews beside us, that we're caring for one another in the fellowship time, that we're serving one another in the various ministries, so that when we leave this place, we take the mission with us for real transformation for all people in Christ, that we allow people to experience Jesus. So imagine with me, if you would, in your mind's eye, what a church would look like that is a place of such abundant love that those who encounter it cannot help but be transformed by it. That say there's something different about that place. Maybe they've never heard the name of Jesus, but there's something that they want to be a part of. That the people that you bump into in the grocery store and you apologize to each other saying sorry like Canadians do, that maybe just in the way you say story, maybe you start up a conversation. And they, maybe you don't even tell you the name of Jesus, but they know there's something different about you. May we be a place that every single person who enters these doors feels loved and cared for and like they are a friend. And so what's our part in this together? No, no, no shaking. You're going to get me in trouble with Lex. We're in this together. This is our mission. 
This is Jesus' church, and we are going to honor and glorify him together. And so Jesus, he, he said this really interesting phrase. He had a lot of them, but he said, uh, you will do more than I do. You'll go on and do greater work than I did. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of that individually, that's impossible. You just think of the, the list of things Jesus did in the three years. That just makes me tired thinking about it. But the reason he says this is because the you he talks about is plural. You will do far greater work than Jesus together than he did in his three years because we're in this together. We are a church that will use our gifts and abilities to serve God and to serve other people. We will love one another and we will love God with greater and greater impact. So your role in this is to finding meaningful role to serve in, whether it's an official one or whether it's the, uh, the official lover when you just see somebody new, you go up to them and say, hey, I'd like to have you over for lunch after. Or sometimes lunch is right short after church, so maybe let's go out to supper later. Whatever it is. But your role also is to pray. To pray for the leaders of this church. And to pray for one another. You see a need among you, pray for that person. Don't even wait till you go home. Pray for them right then and there. And then your role also is to care for one another. If you see someone in need among you, care for them. And if you, don't, if you don't have the ability to help them, find somebody that does. But care for one another. Help them, even offering support and love. Practical ways of helping is such an amazing thing. So church family, I feel like we're married now. Which means you're stuck with me trying to say that so ominously but we are going to love one another we are going to care for one another and I have this honor and the privilege of being the pastor and I joyfully accept it is such an honor and a privilege and I'm looking forward to seeing what God does among us in these coming days so church would you join me in prayer this morning and then the worship team will come forward and we can respond in worship and then we get to respond in eating the act of worship of joy right there. So join me in prayer. Father God, you are so awesome. You are so mighty, so amazing. You're beyond our imagination. You're beyond compare. The beauty of your presence is something that we sometimes take for granted. But we have the privilege of gathering together in this space as a church family. And what a joy and what a privilege that is. Lord, may we never say that this is just my church. It's your church, Jesus. Help us, encourage us, challenge us as we pursue the mission that you have given us. That we would love you and love others so deeply that it can't come from us. It can only come from you, Jesus. Help us to love one another sacrificially. And help us to worship you in spirit and in truth in all ways. Help us to pray for one another. And as we pray to encourage one another, even as we edify one another with our words of encouragement, of hope, of joy, of passion, may we be people that act as sent people to make disciples, to be disciples who make disciples Jesus. And may we see the best days yet to come. Lord, it may not be tomorrow, it may not be next year, but we anxiously await for the powerful movement of your spirit and the spirit that brings holiness and grace and love and mercy to our lives 
And may we never keep that to ourselves. May we share. And now this morning as we, uh, as we respond in worship, I pray that we would worship you passionately, Jesus. May these words edify our minds and our hearts and help us to be filled to overflow with your love and grace. In your name we pray. Amen.